series uh, called Why Believe? And what we're doing is we're just kind of answering some of maybe the basic questions people have about why should they believe in Jesus Christ? Why should people be putting their faith in Jesus Christ? And last week, uh, we talked about, it came from kind of an academic way, and so I know some of you guys were glassy-eyed, and I apologize, but we were talking about how can you trust the Bible? And uh, our main focus there, you can go from a, different, a bunch of different angles to say why we can trust the Bible, but what we did was, um, there's ancient writings out there that people go, hey, you know, we believe that Julius Caesar wrote the Gallic Wars, or we believe that Homer wrote the Iliad. And uh, so our, our debate, our response back is, okay, well, you believe that. You believe nobody messed with those, that they're all true today. But the problem is, we have copies today of the original writings. We don't have the originals, but we have copies. But the, the closest copy we have to the original is between nine and a thousand years. So... For nine to a thousand years, people could have been messing with that. We don't know. We just have to trust what everyone's saying. When it comes to the Bible, and by the way, we only have a few copies, like 10, 12 copies of those things. When it comes to the Bible, we have like, for just the New Testament, we have like over 5,600 copies or pieces of copies when it comes to the Bible. And there are only two to three hundred years between the copies that we currently have and the original writing. And so the point there is, well, with the way they actually um, uh, copied, I guess the best way to put it, the way they best copied the, the, the manuscripts, the original manuscripts, there's no real way for any error to get in there because of how um, sure they were and how they did it one letter at a time. And uh, so anyways... We kind of looked at that. You can listen to the podcast if I've completely confused you. Listen to the podcast, go up on Facebook and be more confused when you're done. Um, but that's incredibly important because of what we learned the first week, and that is why I believe. Well, because Jesus knows everything about you and still loves you. We looked at John 4, the woman at the well, and Jesus laid out for her, she says, everything about her. And no, normally we wouldn't want everybody to know everything about us, because in most cases, they'd probably reject us. But Jesus does, and he doesn't reject us. In fact, he gave his life for us. So how does he know everything about us? And how is it that him dying on the cross could somehow impact our lives? Well, the answer to that is, the answer for today, why I believe, is because Jesus is God. And we're going to look at that. We're going to be in John chapter 8. Uh, you can turn to that if you'd like. Uh, it's page 1069. So if you're using the Bible there in the chairs, it's page 1069, John chapter 8. And let me just kind of give you the backstory to this. We're going to be joining in on this interaction that Jesus is having with the religious leaders. And so I kind of need to give a little bit of a backstory. I don't want to read the whole chapter um, and bore you guys. But basically it's this. Jesus comes on the scene. And he's doing some incredible stuff. He's healing people. Um, he's teaching some stuff that the, the religious leaders of his day are not happy about. They don't like Jesus at all. They're looking for ways to, to get him arrested and then put him to death uh, for the things that he's saying and doing. But so far he hasn't quite come out and, and said the very thing that he needs to say for them to have him arrested and put to death. And that is, I am God. Okay? So what's happening is he's going around, and he's healing people, 
And he's drawing people to himself, which means they're not following the religious leaders anymore. And then he, as he's talking to them, he's telling them, hey, your religious leaders are telling you wrong things. They're teaching you incorrectly about the Old Testament. And there's a little bit of humor here if, you, if you're a, a person that can kind of get into the reading. Jesus is God, okay? Which means he wrote the Old Testament. They're telling Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to the Old Testament. We do. That's the humor. <laughs> so they're telling God he doesn't know what he wrote. Okay, that's, well, you guys are tough. Did you, were you all at the fall festival yesterday? Did the sun kind of knock you all out? Jeez, I need some help here, people. Anyways, so, so they're going around and they're constantly challenging him. And they're asking him, who are you? Who are you? And he's saying, listen, he starts out with, listen, you hear what I'm teaching about. You see what I'm doing. I'm teaching about God, and I'm doing the works of God. That should be enough for you. But it's not, because what's happened in there, what they've done is they've taken the Old Testament teachings, and then they've added on a bunch of their own thoughts and opinions as to what the Old Testament teaches. And over the centuries, to, to Jesus' day, now all they do is talk about what they think the Bible means, rather than going back and actually studying the Bible. That's why they're so messed up. And so, when Jesus comes onto the scene, one of the big things is that he's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one who's going to save you from your sin and make you right with God and, you know, bring you to heaven one day. But they're thinking, no, he's supposed to be a political leader to free us from our political enemies and let us become a superpower. That's what they're thinking. That's what the religious leaders are thinking. So, it's really kind of a mess, and these guys have kind of messed themselves up because of that and how they've been, you know, one of the reasons why we always go back to the Bible, I don't stand up here and tell you what other people are saying the Bible's talking about. I, I study it out and I come to my understanding and then I say, you guys figure it out too, study it, you know, know it, because we don't want to get caught up in that kind of thing. So what Jesus does is he kind of does, does them one better because um, he's always tweaking the religious leaders. Jesus does a great job of this. So we're going to be in John uh, chapter 8, and uh, it says this. Again, we're into the conversation now, so they're already frustrated with them. Uh, so frustrated, by the way, have you ever dealt with somebody, you're, you're debating some issue, they can't win, so they start insulting you? Have you ever been? I've been in those situations quite a bit, sadly. Um, well, that's what happens here. So the Jews, the religious leaders, answered and said to him, do we not say, say rightly that you are a Samaritan? Now, if you were here two weeks ago, John 4, the worst thing that you could tell, say to a Jew is, you Samaritan, because they hated Samaritans. They were the lowest form of human beings, worse than Gentiles or non-Jews. These Samaritans were even worse. And so they're insulting Jesus because they can't... Have you ever tried to debate with God? Okay, it doesn't work. So, you are a Samaritan and have a demon. So, so not only are they saying... You're a Samaritan. You're under the control of Satan. Not, you know, I don't know if they're walking around with lightning rods on. Uh, you know, I mean, what are you thinking, people? Anyways, Jesus answered. He doesn't even deal with the Samaritan question. He said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. He's talking about God the Father there. Truly, truly, listen up, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. 
Jesus is talking at the spiritual level of these guys, of all of us, but of these guys. He says, the Jews said to him, now we know, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died. They kept on saying, Abraham's our father, Abraham's our father. Old Testament, Jesus, or God told Abraham from you, I'm going to make a great nation, that great nation is Israel. So they're saying, hey, Abraham died, and the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's God. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? So in other words, who are you? Here they're asking again, who are you? So Jesus, with another one of his drop-the-mic times, he goes, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So you're saying that the God that you worship is the God that I worship, that he is, and you have not come to know him, but I know him, and if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced. So here it is. Your father Abraham, thousands of years earlier, rejoiced to see my day. So Jesus is saying, Abraham, thousands of years ago when he died, he rejoiced to see Jesus' day. The day that God the Son put on flesh. Abraham saw that. How would he have seen that? Well, he's in heaven. And he sees that happening. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, here it is, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what would you normally say there? Before Abraham was born, I was, right? Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There a lot of people going around there, so he was able to escape and get out of there. What is Jesus saying when he says, I am? Because he's saying, thousands of years ago, before Abraham was ever born, I existed. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, and a, a year ago we were kind of going through the Old Testament uh, Abraham, uh, God said to Moses, hey, listen, we're going to take Israel out of Egypt, and you're my lead man for this. And so it, Moses is like, eh, I'm not really sure I want to do that. I'm kind of scared. I don't talk really well, and so I, I don't know. And he's like, well, here's what you do. Go to the leaders of Israel and say that I am has shown up. In other words, there's a bunch of gods that everybody in this world worships, including Egypt. But I want to let you know, you tell Israel that I am has arrived the ever-existing, the, the um, uncaused cause of all things, the one who is timeless. In other words, the one and only true God is on the scene. All these other gods are man-made and false. And so he tells Moses that. And so Moses goes to the leaders and tells them that. So Israel, now when they hear I am, that is so, um, they're so reverent of that word. They're, they're so, um, they don't want to mess that name up that they didn't even pronounce the name. They wouldn't speak the name because if they spoke the name, they felt like they would be taking it in vain. And if they took it in vain, God would strike them dead. So nobody used this word that we translate, I am. It's Yahweh. And some of you guys are Y-W-H-W. Um, so, um, 
But Jesus doesn't just say the name. He says that he is I am. That's why they picked up stones to kill him. Because they're like, this guy just blasphemed. He just said he's God. He's not God. We're going to grab these stones, which is what the Old Testament said for them to do, and they're going to stone him to death. They're going to literally rock his world and knock him dead. Isn't that pretty good? Rock his world. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, it just popped into my head that I'd use it. So, the religious leaders, like all of us today, have a decision to make. Now, obviously, they kind of showed their hand who they thought Jesus was, that he wasn't God. But everybody since then has had to make a decision. Is Jesus God? And actually, for us, we've got to start one step before that and answer the question, is there a God? And here's why. Back in Jesus' day, if you walked around saying there was no such thing as a God, you were a whack job. Because everybody knew that there was some sort of God. Everybody knew and understood there was some sort of spiritual force, spiritual something or other happening. They named different gods, different, they, they worshipped the sun, they worshipped animals, they worshipped you know, a lot of different things, trying to figure out who the right God was that they should worship. Israel, God, the right God, the only God, used Israel to try to show everybody that there is only one true God. They did a miserable job of it, but he was trying to use them to do that. Today, though, we're so scientific, and we've kind of raised science up to be the one true God, that we have to kind of step, take a step back and say, okay, well, Jesus, is he God or not? I don't know. Is there really a God? And so I'm just going to, do, I'm going to ask two questions this morning. They're kind of long, so hang with me. But I'm going to ask two questions. We're going to talk a little more about this in the coming weeks. But I just want to kind of set this up. Is there a God? Well, you have to make a decision by answering these questions. So the first one is this. You basically have two choices to, is to decide where did we come from? What was our origins? How did you and I get here this morning besides driving a car? Um, is it, that was a joke too. You guys are just not following me because my jokes are good, you know. So, First one we have is evolution, right? Everybody's, anybody not know what evolution is? Everybody. <laughs> hey now, hey, this is my show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got an open time at 4 o'clock, you can come up. Anyways, so here's evolution. So here's the question. Is it more logical to believe that eternally coexisting gases... So these gases had have to have always existed. They had to be timeless. Okay? They had to coexist peacefully. There couldn't be any issue. So eternally coexisting peaceful gases somehow violently interacted with each other for no reason, because again, nobody was there. How did, why did all of a sudden they explode? And that reaction, billions of years later, gave us this complex... Fragile but resilient, that's kind of a key thing, and diverse universe we live in today. Is that logical? No, don't answer out loud. People might think you're a freak. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I mean, feel free to answer. But is that logical? Does it, does it make sense in your head that that could happen and that a cell somehow formed out of that, a life cell formed out of that, that then also decided to break into two, 
that then decided to break into four, that then, and it continued over billions of years to give us the diversity, the beauty, the incredible universe. We, I mean, have you guys ever looked on Google when it comes to our universe? It's crazy how unbelievable our universe. And then you start looking at like uh, animals and all the crazy different types of animals we have and the incredible beauty in those animals and some of the most ugly looking things in the world. It could be evolution, but you know, some of it, Have you ever like read up on the, the, the interaction between your brain and your hand or your eyeball? Have you ever uh, investigated what it would take for a, a lizard skin to turn into a bird's a bird skin and feathers? The molecular changes that have to happen simultaneously long enough over billions of years to actually produce that? It, it, it's not possible. It's just not possible. You just can't do it. Now, science would say, no, 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 but they can't reproduce it. It's just a theory that they have. So, First question. You can tell where I stand. Uh, creation. Or is it more logical to believe that an eternally existing being who is infinitely powerful, creative, and intelligent created this complex, fragile, yet resilient and diverse universe we live in? Does it make more sense that there had to be a designer? Well, it, yeah. It does seem that there have to, somebody has to have designed this. Because nothing has ever been formed out of an explosion. I used to blow up G.I. Joes all the time. They never came back together. They started as something. Those poor guys, wow, those, they were just all over the place. Anybody ever let off an M300? I have. Um, pfft, nothing ever came back after that one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so just don't tell the cops about it. So we had that, that's, our, that's the question you guys have to ask. You've got to research that. You've got to figure that one out. Because we'll find out your eternity lays in the balance. Because if Jesus is God, there's heaven and hell. Now, if we're all whacked out as Christians, you're good to go. You know. But if we're not, if Jesus is right, your eternity is at stake. Now, science can't Prove Christianity's idea of creation or the Bible's idea of creation. It can't. It can't prove evolution. Science has continually proven the theory of creation and it continues to disprove the theory of evolution. If you're up on this stuff, if you're not relying on what you were taught in high school or college, if you're up on this stuff, it's constantly being knocked down. And creations, the creation, theory, uh, creation science guys, theirs keeps on being proven. So Christians believe that Jesus Christ is this God. We believe in a God who is uh, three persons in one. So we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why do we believe that? Because the Bible teaches, and at different times, God the Father is at work, God the Holy Spirit's at work, God, God the Son's at work. And so God the Son is the one who put on flesh and came to earth, Jesus Christ. And so we believe that the God, this incredible being who created this world and this universe, is three persons in one, and one person, God the Son, put on flesh, and Jesus is God. 
then God the Son puts on flesh in order to help us understand even better who God is. And then to show us how incredible God is, he, he dies on a cross. And he says the reason why he's doing that is, is to die our eternal death in hell for us. And then he rises from the dead, defeating sin and death, and then says, it's a gift for you if you take it. That's awesome. And so he says, here, I'm giving this to you. If you would only believe that I did that for you, God says, I'll forgive your sins. I'll declare you not guilty. I'll put my God, the Holy Spirit, into your life. I'll help you through this life, and I'll take you to the next. It's a gift. We didn't do anything to earn it. We're all messed up. We couldn't do anything to earn it. At least I'm messed up. I don't know. I think you guys are probably messed up too. We're messed up. So it's a gift. So the question is, is Jesus God? You have to decide. You have three choices. Okay, so we're going to run through these choices pretty quickly here if I can. So your first choice, if he's not God, then Jesus is a tool of Satan. Now, everybody's like ducking. You know, don't worry. You know, Jesus dealt with this. So, either he's God, or your other choice is that he's a tool of Satan. So, Satan is using him. Then you have to believe that there's a spirit world, by the way, but that's besides the point. But Jesus shot this one down. So, here's what he says in Matthew. And knowing their thoughts, because they had just got done saying, you know, a demon has them, or Satan has them. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided. So, now he's going to come at it from a very logical point of view, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebub, just another name for Satan, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. So what he's saying is, it makes no sense. If, if Satan has control of me, why would Satan give up a person he has control of? doesn't make any sense. And besides that, you have people in your history, Israel, spiritual leaders who actually, through the power of God, cast out demons. So now are you saying that former Pharisees and religious leaders were under control of Satan? I mean, they had to consider that. But that's one option for you. But if you believe that, then you also have to believe that the New Testament writers were either taken in by this hoax, hoax or were part of the hoax. So either they believed that he was God and were helping, in that sense, helping Satan out, or they believed he was under control of Satan, wrote things to continue the hoax that he was supposedly God, and then when they were put to the test by saying, recant or we'll kill you, they said, no, we're going to go with the hoax, which makes no logical sense. People don't die for a lie. Oh, that rhymes. Write that down. Here, I'll quote it. People don't die for a lie. They don't, right? I mean, if, you're gonna, if someone's going to kill you and you know it's a lie, you're not withholding information for someone to say, it's a lie. What you know is a lie. You're going to say, no, 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 Tip, just kidding. You know, I want my life, right? I mean, Again, you guys are just, wow. No, Harold, we would die for a lie. That's how we are. Okay. Well, and then you'd also have to figure out how they stole, how the disciples beat up about 
a hundred or more Roman soldiers rolled a stone, grabbed a body out, and have hid it so that no one has found it even till today. So you've got to kind of figure that one on into it. Secondly, so if you don't like the tool of Satan that's a little bit too rough for you, we'll wind it down a little bit. He was self-deceived or mentally unstable. Now people are going, whoa, Harold, man, you're going to get struck down. No, uh, because Jesus' family thought this. Mark 3. And he came home, came to his hometown, Jesus, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people, that word means kinsmen, so his own family, his, his family has heard this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he's lost his senses. So even early on, Jesus' own family, some of them were going, this guy's lost his mind. He's mentally unstable. What in the world is he doing? He's putting himself up against the religious leaders. This is not a good place for him to end up. Well, obviously, you know, Jesus didn't really defend himself other than say, well, you know, some, sometimes you have to disagree with your family in order to follow God. We talked about that in the earlier series. Again, when it comes to the New Testament writers, either they believed he was mentally unstable and were lying to everybody, or they were lied to themselves. And so, again, kind of had the same thing as if he was a tool of Satan. And again, they would have to have come up with a way of, well, they would have died for a lie, they would have had to come up with a way of stealing his body and getting away from Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers back then would have been kind of like our SEAL teams. You know, these guys were not people you messed around with. They had silencers on their swords. You know what I'm saying? So these guys were, no, seriously, they were the, they were the superpower of the, there's no way these 12 guys could have gone in there. And I don't care how quietly they walked in their sandals, there's no way these guys are going to be taking Jesus out and hiding him. So today we can't even find his body. With all the DNA stuff and all the archaeology and stuff, it's weird. And then choice three. Jesus is God. So you really only have those three. But then people say, wait, 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 wait. No, there are others, and so we're going to debate some of those. He's a good teacher. I don't believe he's God, but I do believe he's a good teacher. Did you know that Jesus tells you you can't call him a good teacher? This is cool. I was thinking through this this week, and then the, what we call the rich young ruler uh, came to mind. So, so this guy, you can't call him a good teacher. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him. Other Gospels tells him it's a ruler of the, um, ruler of the town, and a kind of rich young ruler, we call him. You know. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, listen, you can't call me a good teacher. Because the only one good is God. The Pharisees were not good. I'm not good. Okay? We're sinful. But if you want to call somebody a good teacher in this, because he's saying, what's the eternal life? How do I get to heaven? Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to do that, you've got to call me God because I'm the one who gets you to heaven. So you can't call him a good teacher. Jesus says you can't call him a teacher. I mean, I guess you can, but you'll be going against what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, well, you can't call me a good teacher. Because I'm more than that. I'm God. But then they say, well, how about a prophet? So maybe he's not a good teacher, but he's a prophet. You know, a prophet from God. And so Jesus has been asking people, hey, who do people say that I am? And some people say this, some people say that. And so 
It says this in uh, Mark 6. Brothers were saying he's Elijah, Old Testament prophet. Others were saying he's a prophet like the one prophets of old, again, some of the Old Testament prophets. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. So John the Baptist is one who came before Jesus saying, hey, there's a Messiah coming, uh, which was, by the way, prophesied back in Isaiah, which was hundreds of years earlier. And so uh, Herod didn't like John the Baptist, and during one of his parties, he pulled John the Baptist in, lopped his head off, gave it to his wife as a gift. Hey, Mike, anniversary gift for you. How's that, you know? So, um, but he beheaded him. And so he's saying, oh, no, no, John the Baptist has come back to life. So prophet or somebody better than that. Well, look what Jesus said about John the Baptist. And he's talking about, uh, so he's talking to these people. He's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist wouldn't come into the towns. He stayed outside of the towns. He wore really you know, camel clothing and stuff. He wasn't really a good-looking guy. He smelled really bad. He ate locusts, you know. But again, fulfilling a prophecy of the Old Testament, that's what it said, it said he would do. So it says, but, but what did you see, or but what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wore soft clothing are in king's palaces. In other words, that's not what you saw with John the Baptist. He was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He looked terrible. A prophet? So, but what did you want to go out? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. So, John the Baptist is more, in God's eye, is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. So now he goes back to Isaiah. Behold, I, God the Father, send my messenger, John the Baptist, ahead of you, ahead of the Messiah, or Jesus Christ. And so you can't call Jesus a prophet because John the Baptist was greater than the prophets. And Jesus, this Messiah, is greater than, than John the Baptist. We know why. is because he's God. So, you know, you can't call him a prophet. On top of that, Jesus performed miracles that only God could do. Again, we have to trust the New Testament authors on that, right? But he did miracles. He gave sight to the blind. He helped the lame to walk. He raised people from the dead. Old Testament said only God can do these things. Jesus forgave sins, which only God can do. And so, you know, here's an illustration, and I'll use my kids. So if Hagen walks up to Sarah and smacks her across the face, Hagen has sinned against Sarah. I can't come up to Hagen and go, hey, Hagen, uh, I, um, I forgive you of that. Makes no sense, right? Because Hagen didn't do anything against me. He did it against Sarah. Only Sarah could say, Hagen, I forgive you. Every sin we commit... So Hagen punching Sarah, not that that's ever happened, by the way. Um, Hagen punching Sarah is a sin against God. Because he says to love each other. So Hagen punching her is a sin against God. So God can say to Hagen, I forgive you of this sin. But I can't do it. And by the way, we have a lot of different religions that do that. Even some that call themselves Christians. person goes in, talks to the pastor, priest, minister, whatever, and says, hey, forgive me for the sins that I've committed against these people. And the person goes, yeah, you're forgiven. You can't do that. Only that person and God can forgive them. Don't ever come to me and ask me to forgive you for something you've done to somebody else. I can't do it for you. Only God can do that. Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Peter Stoner wrote a book, Science Speaks, and he did all the calculations. And he said that if, if uh, eight if a person fulfilled just eight of the 300 prophecies, the probability of that happening is one 
And that ha- how many numbers, zero things. So it's actually one, t- 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Basically, it can't happen. If anyone fulfilled 48 prophecies of the 300, 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So just, I almost did it. I was always going to put 157 zeros on the screen and just see how you guys responded, but I didn't. Anyone who could fulfill 300 prophecies, Jesus did it. You can read his book. You can find out what the prophecies are. You can, you know, you guys are adults. You can figure this out. Um, but, you know, the fact that he was born to a virgin in Bethlehem, traveled to Egypt, came back to Nazareth, Nazareth those four things, Old Testament prophecies. Those four things, and he did it. 300 of those. Crazy probabilities. And if you're speaking of the New Testament writers, it would only make sense that when they were faced to make a choice between life and death, that they truly believed he was God. And when they said, live or die, they said, I'll choose death. Because they knew that when they die, they believed, they put their faith and trust, that when they died physically, they would enter Jesus' presence when they died. And it also makes sense as to why we can't find Jesus' body. Because the Bible tells us he ascended to heaven. And he's coming back one day. And those who have placed their faith in Christ, if they die before then, get to go into his presence. And if he, if he comes while we're here, we get to go with him. So what's our takeaways? Real quickly. First of all, it's your decision. And your decision decides your eternity. Eternity. I can't decide your eternity for you. I've already decided mine. And I've put my faith full way to trust that Jesus is my Savior. But Jesus said in John 8.15, what we read through, He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, you will never see death, eternity, and hell. That's what that means. That's what He's talking about. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you believe in me, eternity, if you believe in me, you don't have to spend eternity in hell. If you don't believe in me, Again, you have to trust it. Secondly, your faith is required. You have to place your faith in what he says, or your trust, or you have to believe. Different words that we use. Again, going back to that verse, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Keeps Jesus' word. Keeps Jesus' word. What does that mean? Keeps his word. What's he been saying? Well, what's he, what he's been saying is, is John 3, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, for God so loved the world that he gave, this is Jesus talking, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, him, that whoever believes in me, puts his full weight of trust in me, shall not perish, shall not die and go to hell, but have eternal life, die and go to heaven. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. One day he will come to judge the world. But now he's not judging the world. He's the savior of the world that he would save people from their sins. See, we all live by faith. You guys, walk, you guys got up this morning, and some of you guys had breakfast. You had faith that the food that you bought was going to be good for you, and actually eat it without getting sick. You poured your cereal, and you didn't expect to see a mouse come popping out of there. You had faith that who's ever making the cereal in Michigan is doing what it's supposed to do. Then you got in your car. 
And you had faith that when you turned the ignition, that it was going to turn, and all the systems would work well and not explode. Now, the reason why you have faith for that is because numerous times, over and over and over and over and over again, you started your car, and it's never exploded. So the more you've done it, the more faith you've had in your car that it's not going to explode. But I'll guarantee you, the first time it explodes, the next time you get in a car, you're going to be like, Or you're dumping cereal out for 45 years, you've been dumping cereal out, and 46 years, a mouse comes out, the next time you go for a bag of cereal, you're like, I'm not sure if I want to open that. But we live by faith all the time. Have you seen the drivers around you? You're still driving. You have faith in other drivers. And I've seen some of those drivers. I'm not telling you what kind of truck I drive, but I'm just, <laughs> it might be me that you saw. Point is this. We've got a sin problem. We've all messed up. Jesus knows that. He knows everything about us. He still loves us. Loves us so much that he said, listen, I don't want you to die and go to hell. And so the one who's going to judge you for that, before I ever have to do that, I'm going to give you the opportunity. The only way that you cannot go to hell, the only way is if God would die for you. He's the only infinitely powerful, eternal being that can do that. And he did it. Because he loves us so much. He loves you so much. No matter how messed up you think your life is, Jesus knows it. And he died for you. He died before you were ever born, knowing that you would be who you are today. Knowing what I've done in my life, he died for me as a gift. So lastly, it's your decision. Some of you may not like that. I don't want to to make that decision. Well, you get to make the decision. It's your opportunity, your privilege to make that decision. And if you've got the notes there, I've just written down, and you know, sometimes I offer to pray, but today, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that because if God is, if you're sitting here going, man, you know, what you're saying makes so much sense. I'm telling you, I'm not the one making it make sense to you. I believe there's a God who exists, and I believe it's God who's helping you understand what I'm saying. Believe me, I'm not that great of a speaker. But if you're understanding it, it's because God's helping you understand it. And if you're understanding it, what it says there at the bottom of the notes is simply this. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and you know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I'm trusting that what you said is true, that if I place my faith in Christ, then his death takes my place in hell, and then I get to spend eternity with him. And while I live this life, I get to tell other people about that. It's simple. Because a gift is simple, isn't it? You don't do anything for a gift. People are offended if you try to do something for a gift. It's a gift that he's given you. Well, this morning we're going to finish our service with communion. And what communion is, just for us who have made that decision to follow Christ, to put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's a time for us to remember and, and uh, just have a special time of just remembering what he did for us. The bread uh, signifies his, his body. Uh, the juice um, is reddish in color, so it signifies his blood that he shed for us. So during this last song, uh, the way we do it here, at least now, is, uh, is during the last song, as you come up, if you're on this side, come to this and uh, take a piece of bread, eat it, take uh, some of the juice, drink it, 
uh, and then head back to your seat. And if you guys are on this side, you can do the same. Uh, if, if you're not a member of our church, but you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're more than welcome to come and, and take um, communion because it's really, it's only requirement is that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And so we'll be standing at the time. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we'd ask that you not uh, take this. Uh, and that's fine. And no one's going to be looking at you going, wow, I can't believe it. It's not an issue. All right. So the guys are going to uh, begin playing. Take a moment, just prepare your hearts. Those who are followers of Christ, um, you know, just make sure your heart and mind is right with the Lord. And then come up. Uh, again, take the bread, eat it, take the juice, drink it, and then return to your seat. Okay? Savior 